All right, church. How we doing today? Good afternoon. Y'all doing good? Come on. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. I'm going to kind of move this off to the side. Who did their homework today? Let's go. Raise it up if you have it with you. Your paper Bibles. Let's go. Look at all you saved people. The rest of you, I don't know. We'll pray. We'll have an altar call at the end of service. Amen. Amen. But I'm so happy to be here with you all. I wanted to, you know, Pastor Jeremiah said something that was just, just hit my heart so powerfully when he was talking about the foothold of the enemy. And there's this song by Stephanie Gretzinger, and, and I don't remember the song that, that this lyric is in, but she says this. She says, is it even a sacrifice if I trade the world for you? Is it even a sacrifice? Because here's, here's what we do in the church. We say that you have to trade the world and go get God. And we make it seem like this terrible thing, right? Where it's like you have to forsake the world. You know, don't, don't cling to the things of this world. Turn away from the world. Make this huge sacrifice and come to the Lord. We kind of make it sound like you're taking a new job and you're taking a pay cut by coming to the Lord, right? But is it, is it really a sacrifice, <laughs> when you see his beauty and his majesty, like when you see the face of God and you're in his presence and he's touching your heart, like are you really missing the things of this world so much? Like, like Pastor Tossi, after all these years following the Lord, is it a sacrifice to see him? No, it's your greatest joy. It brings us so much more joy than anything that this world could offer. Like it's not a sacrifice to let go of the world. It is our privilege. It's our honor. It's the only thing that will satisfy us when we see his face. Like, we have to flip the script on this. This isn't like a, oh, my goodness, I'm going to choose the Lord. Woe is me. No, this is like, oh, my goodness, I have found the one in whom my soul truly delights. Sin tried to take its place, but this world can't even hold on to. It pales in comparison of the beauty of the Lord. It's no sacrifice. This is my purpose. This is my calling. This is what I've been created to do is to behold his glory and his beauty. And I'm telling you today, if you've been on the fence in this room, been holding on to things of this world because you just don't know, man, I'm telling you, he is so much more worth anything on this earth. And what I want to do, the worship team is going to come back up, and I just want to sing this song for a minute um, and just this, this blessed me so much. And as Pastor Dion and, and, and Pastor Emily get, get ready, I just, man, I, I just, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit here in this moment. He's already here, but I just want to invite the Holy Spirit here. So would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for your presence. Jesus, we thank you that it's not a sacrifice. This isn't a sacrifice. This, you, your presence isn't a pay cut to what the world has to offer. Forgive us for treating your presence as a paid decrease, God. You are the treasure. You are the prize, Jesus. And so this moment, we come to you and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, that we might see the beauty of the Lord. Let your presence fill this room, fill this place, and let us be forever changed by who you are. We love you, Jesus. Would you just join me in worship for a moment? Come on, let's sing this out together. Come on. Yes, Lord. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face 
to worship you, Jesus. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Yes, Lord. Jesus, you are beautiful. You are the Holy One. And it is our honor and our privilege to seek your face. We love you, Jesus. We ask that your holy presence would be with us in this moment, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would fall in this room, 
that we would see you, that we would know you, and we would forever be changed by who you are. Jesus, it is no sacrifice to choose you. It is our greatest joy, our greatest honor and privilege is to choose you over this world. What does this world have to offer, Jesus? Everything pales in comparison in the light of your face. You're beautiful, Jesus, and we love you. In your precious name I pray. Come on, everybody said, amen, amen. Do me a favor, if you, if you have your Bibles with you, stand please, if you wouldn't mind, as we read. <clears throat> I don't often ask us to stand as we read the Word, but I've realized that there is, there is a crippling tragedy in the, in the body of Christ, and that tragedy is that when we go home from here, only 18% of you will open up your Bible until we gather next week. We have completely, completely lost the honor of the Word of God. And oftentimes we come into this place and we love on Jesus and we sing these songs, oh Lord, you're beautiful, you're worthy, all this stuff, but then we neglect His Word. And do you know what the Bible says? It says that the Word became flesh, <laughs> So you love the person of Jesus, but you love the other side of who Jesus is, which is the word of God. You have to love the word. If you love Jesus, you have to cherish the word of God. You have to honor the word of God. So if you could stand with me, I'm going to be reading out of Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to read this, and, and you don't have to you know, read it with me, but I want you to follow along in your Bible. And, and, and I, before we read, I just want to clarify, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to um, bring any shame or guilt or anything for anybody that's on their phone right now, but this is why I love paper Bibles so much, okay? If, you, if you're like, man, I have my Bible app on my phone, this is why I love paper Bibles so much, because the amount of defilement that comes out of your phone is ridiculous, it's ridiculous. Like, there, there, is, there is people in this room that, you know, I, I'm not, I, we're jumping deep here, but this is the seriousness of it, and this is why I want your paper Bibles in the room, because there's people in this room who watch pornography on their phones. There's people in this room that are filled with all sorts of evil and defilement on your phone, and then we turn off that evil and we flip open our Bible app and we read the Word of God on the very device that it, we indulge in sin with. And why I love the paper Bible, the Word of God, is because it is undefiled. And when we hold the Word of God, we lift it up in its only place. Like, we're not making phone calls with our Bible. We're not texting with our Bible. The Word of God stands alone. And there's something about holding the Word of God in your hands that says, this is above everything else that I do in my life. And I know people joke and laugh. It's like, oh, Pastor Dominic wants you to bring your paper Bible all the time. But that's why. <laughs> that's why. Because, man, this, is, this has to be, this, this, these pieces of paper right here have to be the authority in your life. And to share that authority with Facebook is obscene. To share that, that space with Instagram or Snapchat is crazy. And so as we hold this word, I, I want to read, follow me along, Isaiah chapter 53. It says this, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness 
And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked." But with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus, we honor your holy word in this moment. We hold it dearly, Jesus. Forgive us for treating the word of God like something that is common, that is something that is equal to the things of this world. God, I pray that you would turn that horrifying statistic on its head right now. And I declare that the people of God would be obsessed with his word once again. Let us not grow complacent and stale, but let us not just read the word of God, but hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you, God. Would we become a people who love your holy word again? We love you and we honor you and we bless you in this moment. In your name I pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. The title of my message this afternoon is Man of Sorrows. We read it there in Isaiah 53. He's the man of sorrows. And I know sorrows isn't something popular to talk about at, at church. We like the good things of God. But my goal for us today is to help frame a perspective in your heart and in your life that helps you understand how to deal with sorrows. 
Because whether you like it or not, they're coming for you. If you've been on this earth any amount of time, you've understand that sorrows come to each and every one of us. So the idea for this message, you can put it on the screen and we can, we can read it together, but the idea is this, is that knowing Jesus in the fellowship of his suffering brings hope in the darkness and nearness to his heart. When you know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings, what happens is that you actually gain hope in him. No one likes to go through difficult things, but when you know that you're not alone in the difficulty, there is a level of hope that is established in your heart. We're going to get into it here in a second, but suffering is a very intimate thing. And when you and I experience suffering, it is this experience, not, this isn't the only thing that does it, but it is this experience that draws us close to his heart. Has anybody ever gone, ever gone through any suffering in this room? Just wave at me. Come on, every hand should be up. We've all suffered. And remember those moments. Who did you run to? You ran to Jesus. See, when things are good, we don't really, you know, we, we love Jesus. But it's, it's the moment that tragedy strikes that the heart is turned to the Lord and that we're brought near. You know, I remember back on 9-11 when, when the terrorist attack happened, that next few Sundays, the, the whole world turned their heart back to the Lord. Why? Because we were suffering. And it's in this moment of pain and grief that we have the opportunity to be close to the Lord. And so as we begin talking about this today, I want to just explain there's two types of suffering I want you to know about. Two types of suffering. The first one is that bad things happening to you. Right? Has anybody experienced that? Where bad things happen to you, right? We've we've experienced that suffering. That type of suffering is difficult, and the Bible says this, because here's my thought. Should Christians suffer? If we're saved, if we're under the grace of God, should we experience bad things? The Bible says this, that it rains both on the just and the unjust alike. Here's what that that basically means. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're children of God, but there's a misconception that when you come to Jesus, your life's going to be perfect. And that, that's wrong because we still live here on earth. And this earth has, has, has been subject to sin, subject to the enemy, and our suffering is a direct result of the violation that Adam and Eve made in the garden. We are still paying that price, that consequence. Do you remember the curse that God pronounced over Adam? He said, listen, you're going to have to work now and till the ground. Work the ground, and, and he said over Eve, you're going you're gonna to have pain in childbirth, right? That is unfortunately a price that we still pay here on this earth. And the truth is this, is that as Christians, yes, is Christ covering you? Yes. Can he, will he deliver you? Will he heal you? Yes. He can come to your rescue, but that means also that you will need him to come to your rescue from time to time. That you will go through hardship. You will deal with difficulty in life. And I know this isn't the most encouraging word, but I don't want to stand up here and lie to you. But what I want to do is prepare you for it. That's the first type of suffering. Here's the second type of suffering. If you've asked me, should Christians suffer, my immediate answer would be yes. We should be very familiar with suffering. Actually, we should be drawn to suffering. And when I say that, I don't mean the bad things happening to you. I mean this one. We should be drawn to number two. If you're a Christian in this room, you should be drawn to this type of suffering, which is dying to yourself. 
This is what the Lord has called us to. He's called us to take up our cross and to follow him. Do you know the cross is a symbol of torture? The cross is a symbol of death. It's a symbol of suffering. And Jesus tells us to pick that up and follow him. Why do we want to do that? Because it is in the dying to yourself that you find freedom. It's in this dying to your flesh, this suffering, where you find the freedom of God in your life. Here's here's what drives me crazy about Christians is that we ask Jesus to take our sin away, but then we indulge in that same sin from Monday through Saturday. We say, Jesus, will you take it away, take it away, take it away. And we want him to magically come into our life and remove sin from us. Remove that addiction. Remove the, that dirty t- language that you have. Remove how you treat people poorly. He wants us, you want him to just take it out of you. But that's not how it works. You have to die to it. It is in your dying to it where he's able to remove it from your life. But you can't indulge in the very sin and then come to the altar on Sunday and expect God to magically take it from you. Like we want to be free from sin, but we want nothing to do with denying ourselves or dying to our own will. We don't want to die to ourselves. We want God to magically free us from ourselves. But what does Paul say? He says, that which I will to do, I can't do. But that which I don't want to do, I find myself going towards that every day. Christian, it is a fight every single day for you to pick up that cross, to die to yourself, and to suffer with Christ in denying your flesh. This is what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was toiling. Remember, he's sweating blood in the garden and he asked God, God, would you take this cup from me? And God said, no. Would you, take, would you let this cup pass from me? And what does Jesus say? Nevertheless, not my will, God, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. See, we can't just ask God to take it away and then still live in our own will. We have to say, God, take this from me. Nevertheless, I'm going to die to myself. I'm dying to my will. I'm going to suffer for you, Jesus. And it is in that moment here, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you have anything to do with it, because even if you were to suffer absence of, absence of his grace and his ability in your life, you still couldn't overcome sin. You need the power of God in your life. I am not suggesting that you can do it. What I am saying is that your denying of yourself allows God and gives access to him to come into your life and to empower you with his spirit. God can't empower you when you're indulging in sin. He can't empower you when, you, when you're constantly refusing to lay yourself down. That's like, that's like trying to get in shape but refusing to go to the gym. What? That just doesn't make sense. You can't get in shape. You need to go to the gym. You need to go outside and walk. You need to exercise. You can't expect to be in shape and not do something to get your body in shape. Right? And once you get to the gym, here's the thing. All you have to do is show up. Because there's trainers there that will tell you exactly what to do. There's people there that will give you an exercise program, a workout program, right? This is how God works in our life. All we have to do is choose him. All we have to do is show up, and it's the power of the Spirit of God in our life that brings about sanctification and transformation. But, But we're not giving him access because we're indulging in sin. 
And so these two types of suffering are, are important to a Christian. They're important to a believer. And my goal for us today is to create a framework or a perspective around suffering that brings us hope, that brings us peace, that brings us this expectation that the Holy Spirit is doing something in my life. Because oftentimes what happens when it, we suffer, our, our immediate reaction is, God, get me out, right? As soon as we experience something uncomfortable, it's like, God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. And we have to slow down because the Lord might be trying to do something with us. And our immediate reaction has to be this, not God, get me out of suffering, but God, would you join me in suffering? Can I share in your suffering and can you show me, Holy Spirit, what you're doing in my life. Can you teach me? Can you lead me? Can you guide me? But we're so concerned with living a comfortable life, we can't ask those questions. But I'm telling you, Christian, suffering is inevitable. It's going to happen. And as believers, it should happen for us every single day. And it's in this place of suffering that we have to get familiar. You know, a couple weeks ago, my, uh, my basement flooded. We had this crazy storm last week. Is that anybody's basement get some water in it? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. <laughs> Pastor Dion's got both hands up, man. His basement was flooded. It was crazy. But so two, about a week and a half ago, I go downstairs, and I'm, I'm playing video games with my friend, and I get off, and I stand up, and my socks are wet. And I was like, oh, no. And I immediately thought my dog had peed under my, under my, little, my little computer. And so I, this is gross, but I bent down just to give it a little sniff. And it wasn't pee, it was water, which I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing that it wasn't pee. But I realized that all around my brand new basement that Emily and I just spent $30,000 renovating, right? All around my brand new basement, there was water. And I was like, oh, no. And see, this wasn't this last Wednesday I think we had this terrible storm. This was last week. So this was a, a, a rainstorm that happened about a week and a half ago. But, um, but what I realized was like, oh, no, there's water. My sump pump had failed completely. It didn't even turn on. And so I was so frustrated. And I'll save you from the long story, but Emily and I are selling our house right now. And so a, a couple just walked into our home probably an hour before this happened to look at our house. And I was like, God, this is the worst time. We had three or four more people scheduled for the whole rest of that week to come and to see our home that is now flooded. And I was like, God, don't you understand? What, what are you doing, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Like, I love you, and you love me. Couldn't you just suck the water out magically? Come on. I was so annoyed and angry that this happened. And the, as we're sucking up water and, and, and ripping up carpet, we got a phone call from the people that had just saw our house, and my mom had called her. She's, she's, my mom's my real estate agent. My mom called them and said, hey, just let you know, their basement just flooded. We're cleaning it up, but we just wanted to make you aware. And the couple that saw it said, we don't care. We want to put an offer in. We, we accepted this offer of $5,000 more than we were even asking for. Like, it was this total God thing. But what I didn't realize, what I didn't realize is this, that the Lord really saved me by allowing my basement to flood when it did. Because Wednesday came about, and I'm telling you, Wednesday morning, the carpet guy finished restoring my carpet. He tucked it in nice and neat. Everything was dried out. So it took about a week. That morning, we finally got our basement back to normal. And then that night is when that crazy storm happened. 
And I'm telling you what, I didn't sleep for like two or three days. I was standing over my sump pump just watching it and just praying in tongues. Like, you know, I'm going out. I'm like, this water better go down. And I'm telling you this, church, that my, had I not had that little flood at that time, my whole basement would have been underwater at this time. If God didn't save me by allowing me to suffer just a little bit, I would have completely lost everything down there. But what I thought was an inconvenience was actually the salvation of God because he knew something I didn't know was coming. He set me up to be able to thrive in this season now and to not fail like so many other people, poor people around, around Northeast Ohio systems failed. But, but that's the purpose. That's the reality. Oftentimes we go through difficult things and we're so quick to be negative about them. We're so quick to say, God, why is this happening? Why? I can't believe you would do this to me. But if you would just take a step back and relax and understand that, that God is still in control and he knows things that you don't know. He's putting pieces together that you don't even know exist and there might just be a purpose to what you're going through. And if we can have that perspective as a church and say, okay, God, I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to ask you, Holy Spirit, would you show me what you're doing in this moment? Show me what you're doing in this moment. Man, I believe that the Lord has a purpose and a destiny for all of us. So the, the, two, the two types of sufferings, there's sickness, there's loss, there's rejection, there's bad things that happen to us, right? And that's, that's just, a, that's just a, a product of the world that we live in. And then there's self-denial, denying your, your will, denying your own will, and accepting God's will in our life. Here's the beautiful thing. I want to read this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. If you have your Bible, you can mark it. Um, but this is what it says. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points, everyone say all points. All points tempted as we are yet without sin. Here's the beauty about suffering. When you go to the Lord, you can understand this, that we have a high priest who can sympathize with you. Like, imagine this, if you are suffering through this rejection, maybe you have a family member that has rejected you, and you're like, God, why am I, why am I going through this? Why am I suffering through this? Do you understand this? That Jesus understands exactly what you're going through. He was the chief cornerstone that was rejected by man. Like, think about this for a moment. Jesus is in heaven before he comes to earth. And the Bible says in Psalms 139 that he knits us together in our mother's womb, right? That he knows us before we're even born. So picture this. Jesus is knitting together the very people that would hang him on the cross one day. Jesus is putting together in their mother's womb the very people that would hang him from the cross. Imagine that type of rejection. Imagine that type of pain. You think you're... You're, you, you think that unforgiveness is too much for you? You think that you can't forgive, they've hurt you too bad? Imagine what Jesus went through. Yet hanging on the cross, he said, forgive them, Father. Like I was complaining to God not too long ago, and I said, God, I can't forgive. They've hurt me. I'm just hurt. And the Holy Spirit gave me this picture of Jesus on the cross, arms spread out, crown of thorns on his head, blood dripping down his face, side has a hole in it, nails in his hands, and he's speaking to me. I'm this close to his face, and he says, yeah, Dominic, he, they hurt you. And he wasn't sarcastic. He wasn't rude, but what I realized in that moment was I was complaining about a little bit of baby hurt when they crucified our king, when they spat on him, when they nailed him to a cross. Yet in that moment, he did not harbor any unforgiveness. He forgave while they were crucifying him. 
he's familiar with your pain. He knows what you're going through. He understands what you're fighting against. If you're saying, man, I, I, you just, I'm scared to deny myself. I can't deny myself. I love this stuff too much. Man, we serve a king who was in a garden late at night who was sweating drops of blood because he was wrestling with that very same thing. We, uh, he understands our suffering. And it's in these moments that we can share in the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus. And we can know that even though we're going through pain, we're not going through it alone. There was one who walked through the same pain, the same exact thing that you're walking through years before you were ever born, and that's Jesus. He understands. And so I want to read this scripture verse. I want to get into it a little bit. Is my nose bleeding? Oh, man. Okay, we're good. Um, let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want everybody to write this down. Philippians 3.10, if you have your Bible, you can flip there. If you don't, just write this down. I want you to memorize this scripture verse, put it in your heart. It's really easy, but it says this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I want to know the Lord. I want to know him in the good and the bad and the ugly. I want to know God in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. And I'm telling you today, church, if you can get used to knowing God in the fellowship of his suffering, suffering won't be that bad anymore because he brings hope in it. But I want to, I want to take a point. I want to look at it if you, if you have that written down. We can essentially separate Jesus' life into two categories, okay? We're going to separate it into power and we're going to separate it into suffering, When we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to break it into parts. We're going to look at the life of Jesus and we're going to realize all of the parts that could be classified as power and all of the parts that could be classified as suffering. And if you look at the life of Jesus and you see him in his power, what we see is that he raises the dead, right? He heals the sick, that he gives sight to the blind eyes, that he does all of these amazing things. He feeds thousands of people with just a few pieces of fish and bread. And it's in these moments of power, right, that we see not only Jesus elevated, but we see dozens or hundreds or sometimes even thousands of people all around Jesus. Remember the story with the woman of the issue, with the issue of blood and, and, and Jairus and, her da- and his daughter, where Jesus was pressing, the Bible says, pressing through the crowds. There was thousands of people around Jesus. And it's in these moments where we see, not all, but most of the time, when Jesus is in his power, he is dealing with and relating with hundreds, if not thousands of people. And if we look at Jesus in the moments of his suffering, we see the exact opposite. We see Jesus spend 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness alone by himself, suffering. Do you know why Jesus spent that time in the wilderness. One of the reasons is this, because the first Adam succumbed to the temptation of the enemy. Jesus is the second Adam, and he did not succumb to the temptation of the enemy. The Bible says when the devil came to tempt him, Jesus didn't bow his knee. He didn't bend to the temptation of the enemy, but he overcame him by the word of God. He went through suffering in those 40 days, and there was not an eye to witness it. The Bible tells us he often went alone to pray. Man, I can imagine that those prayers weren't always nice, easy prayers. I'm sure sometimes Jesus wrestled with God like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. In that moment, in the garden, the Bible says that there was only a handful of people with him. 
His disciples would have been with him, but the Bible says that he left the majority of his disciples there, and he just brought Peter, James, and John, and then he left them there, and he went alone to suffer by himself. On the cross, the Bible says this, that, that like sheep, the disciples scattered, left him. There was only a handful of people that stood and supported Jesus in his most desperate hour. When we look at the suffering of Christ, we don't see dozens. We don't see hundreds. We don't see thousands. We don't see anybody. Why? Because suffering is an intimate moment. And it's when we, you and I, share in the sufferings of Christ, what we're doing is we're sharing with Jesus' most intimate and private moments. See, the thousands that thronged Jesus after he fed them fish and, and bread, those are what I like to call fans of Jesus. Those were people that, that liked Jesus whenever he displayed his power but didn't want anything to do with him when he went through suffering. And I want to ask you today, are you a fan of Jesus or are you somebody who follow Jesus? Follow him no matter what. To say, Jesus, I don't care where you're going, I'm coming with you. I don't care what's happening in your life, I'm coming with you. I will be found next to Jesus. See, I believe that he's raising up a generation of people that are not intimidating by the, intimidated by the suffering. You're not intimidated by the suffering. You want him. You want Jesus. You want to see him and to know him. And you, yes, we all want to know him in the power of his resurrection. But if it means, God, that I have to know you in suffering, I want to know you. Because when I took a vow to my wife, Emily, I didn't say just for better. I said for better and for worse. I didn't say just for it when we're rich. I said when we're rich and when we're poor. I didn't say when we're just healthy. I said this covenant stands if we're healthy or if we're sick. I'm not intimidated by what life brings at me. I will suffer with him if that means I might know him. We get too intimidated by that. And I think oftentimes we perpetuate this idea that when you come to Jesus, everything's good, everything's great, it's, it's all good. And if something's wrong, then you have to fix it. And yes, don't get me wrong, I believe in miracles, I believe in knowing the Lord and his power, I believe he raises the dead, heals the sick, opens the blind eye, all of that, and I believe and I stand for it. But we cannot get so intimidated by suffering that our faith falls apart the moment something wrong goes, something goes wrong in our life. We can't be that intimidated by it because we can know him. Suffering is an intimate thing, and it is in the place of suffering that we become close to the heart of God. Look at this verse in Psalms chapter 34, verse 18. It says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. This isn't the only way you can get close to God, but the Lord is near those who have a broken heart. And save such as has a contrite spirit. When you are suffering, I want you to hear me. When you're suffering, when you're dealing with difficulty, maybe in your family, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your, in your relationships, whatever it is, maybe in money, when you're going through difficulty, you're not by yourself. The Lord is close to you. He's near those who are hurting, who are in pain, who are broken. Even in the midst of your own self-denial, when you are choosing to follow him at the cost of your flesh, he's near you. He's near you. He's not far. He's close to your heart. I want to I look at just this incredible individual for a moment. and We're kind of wrapping up here. But 
I want to look at Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was present with Jesus before, during, and after his suffering. And I want to take a moment to look at all of these three accounts. If you have your Bible, let's go to Mark. We're going to stay right there. So you can go to Mark chapter 14. Um, we're going to stay there, so it's probably worth turning to. <clears throat> Actually, I'm going to turn to it too. <clears throat> let's go to Mark chapter 14. Where am I at? Mark chapter 14, it says this in verse 8. This is the account in Mark chapter 14. It's the account of Mary washing the feet of Jesus. Do we remember this? This story, right? We, we talk about it all the time. She breaks the alabaster jar of oil and she anoints the feet of Jesus. Remember, remember this? Wave at me if you remember. Awesome. This is what Jesus says. The Bible says that there, there were some in the room that judged her that said, hey, you, you shouldn't let her do this. You should have sold this and given the money to the poor. And this is what Jesus says. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. We, we always talk about this story in reference to her worship to God, right? Oftentimes before a worship service will start, you'll often hear a, a pastor or a worship leader say, hey, let, just like Mary broke open her alabaster jar, let's pour our love on Jesus today, right? And that's, that's amazing. But the purpose for her worship in that season was to prepare Jesus for his suffering. Her worship in that moment, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty worship. It was worship preparing Jesus to go through and experience the most difficult thing he would ever experience. It was in preparation for his suffering. Can I tell you something? Just like suffering brings you close to the heart of God, worship is something that intimately connects you to the heart of the Father. And if you don't, if you, oh, let me say it this way. If you only worship here with us on Sunday morning, you won't be prepared when life throws suffering your way. It is this act of worship. It is this act of spending time with the Lord, with the presence of God. And I'm not just talking about like just singing songs to him. I'm saying, I'm saying lifting your life up to him as an as a act of worship and, and seeing him rightly. Like I, I'm not going to go there too much, but, but worship is not, a lot of the songs that are Christian songs aren't worship songs because they talk more about you than they talk about God. And the problem with that, the problem with that is that you're not actually connecting with the heart of God. You're just singing about your problems. You're putting melody behind your complaining. That's the problem. Because the Bible says that he dwells in unapproachable light. Right? Like th this is a God who we're, this is a God who, who is, is not like you or me. It's not just like, hey, I want to talk to my friend about my problems. This is a God who is so much higher, so much greater, so much bigger than, than any of us can even comprehend, right? Like there's a lot of the theologians say there's seven attributes to God. And I'm listening, I'm reading a book by uh, A.W. Tozer on this right now. But he, he says that there's, that a lot of theologian believes the seven attributes of God. And A.W. Tozer says, I like to debunk that because attributes basically are descriptors to personality traits. So like I can say you're patient, you know, God is patient. And that's true about God. But the problem is we cannot comprehend mentally and wrap our mind around an eternal God. So there might be seven that we know of, but I guarantee there's a 
billion that we've never seen before. Why? Because he is so much greater than your finite mind can wrap around. So when we worship him, our worship has to look like this. Jesus, you are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are holy. It is not about us and our problems. It's all about magnifying the name of Jesus. And it is in that place of worship that our heart can be connected and intertwined with him so that when you go through difficulty, listen, I said when you go through difficulty, not if you go through difficulty, because you will, and when you go through it, you want a heart that has been saturated with worship. You want a life that has been saturated with true worship unto the Lord. Let's look at the very next chapter in Mark chapter 15. We see this in Mark chapter 15, verse 40. There were also women looking on from afar. This is as Jesus is hanging on the cross. He is actively getting crucified. Blood is running down his brow and his back. Nails in his hand. A couple verses before that, it says that after in the Garden of Gethsemane, that as the, the, the people came and they grabbed Jesus, that the disciples scattered. There were, all of his disciples weren't even there. But do you know who was there? Mary Magdalene was there. She was with him in the moment of his suffering. Not just prepared him for his suffering, but she was with him in the moment of suffering. Among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and and Joseph and Salmon. Salem, sorry, Salem. Mary Magdalene didn't skip out when things got difficult. She, listen, listen, she did not go into self-preservation mode like some of her disciples did, what some of Jesus' disciples did. When they said, oh man, I can't get caught with Jesus. Remember, Peter denied him three times because he didn't want to be associated with Jesus out of fear for what they might do to him. Mary Magdalene said this, I don't care what they do to me. I'm going to be with him in the fellowship of his suffering. See, it was so much not about her. It was all about him. So much not about her. It was all about him. And I think for a moment, and I want you to hear my heart on this because I'll just let you know. Sometimes when I feel like the church or my my own life or, or something happens where I feel like we've swung too far to the left or to the right, I tend to overcorrect overcorrect, okay? So when I say this, don't take it as I don't believe these things, okay? I'm just giving you all the disclaimers today. But we get hyper fixated on our purpose and our destiny in the church. We're so obsessed with what we have to contribute to God. And that's not a bad thing. Like, like tell me, like, hear me in this place. Every single person in this room, you do have a purpose and a destiny. God has created created it for you and purposed you to partner with him in ministry. But I don't want you to misunderstand this. It is still not about you. And sometimes we get so consumed with our own purpose and our own destiny, just like I got consumed with the state of my basement. I said, God, listen, you don't understand, God. I have people coming to look at my basement. And God says, this is not about you and your basement. We get so consumed with our purpose and our destiny. We say, God, why am I going through this? God, don't you, don't you remember, God, you called me to this. Why am I suffering through this? And God says, this isn't about you. It's not about your calling. 
We get so deterred by suffering because we think it's going to derail our calling. This isn't about your calling. This isn't about what you're here to do on this earth. This is about him. He is your calling. He is your purpose. He is your inheritance. And if you never, and you have to hear me, if you never get a chance to do the things that God created you to do and you're unsatisfied, that means you've made a God out of the things instead of him. Like there's a problem when we're restless, right? Like when, we're, when God has us just sitting down and he says, yes, I've called you to lead worship. I've called you to preach. I've called you to lead your ministry. I've called you to do all this stuff. And you're sitting down not doing anything. If in that moment you are restless, you are unsatisfied, then guess what? Your purpose and destiny won't satisfy you either because you have failed to find the one in whom your soul should delight. You're called to the Lord. You're called to Jesus. You're called to him. You're not called to do a thing. You're called to be with him. And this is what Mary Magdalene realized and did in this moment. She said, I'm standing next to Jesus regardless of what happens to me. I'm not abandoning him because my life's at risk. I'm not walking away because my calling's at risk. If it happens to be that I suffer with the Lord, I'd rather do that than turn my back on him. Because you're called to a person, not to a thing. And then finally, finally, the very next chapter in in chapter 16, after Christ is risen, this is what we're going to look at. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. This is so beautiful. It says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother, Mary the mother of James, and Salmon the, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Remember, Mary Magdalene anointed the Lord before he was crucified. She was with him in his suffering, and she made up her mind that she would be with him after the suffering as well. She stayed with him. And her... And a few other ladies, they bought spices and they were on their way to anoint his body again. And I actually want to read it. If, if you can put it on the screens, we're going to read down to verse 11. I'll, I'll read it from here. If you have your Bible, you can follow me along. But this is what it says in verse 2. It says, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll the stone away from the door for us? They were going to the tomb and didn't even have a plan to move this like heavy, heavy stone. They're just saying, hey, I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to Jesus. It says, who will roll this tomb away? And, and entering the tomb, but they looked up and they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. It says that they, quit, they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now watch this. Verse 9 is so incredible. Verse 9 says, Now when he, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to who? He appeared first to who? The one, the one who didn't leave his side. 
before, during, and after his suffering, the one who shared in the suffering of Christ, Jesus rose from the grave and he says, I have to find Mary. I have to find Mary. She was there. As I was taking my last breath, she anointed my feet before I saw the cross. And even before she knew that I was alive, she was committed to staying in the place of suffering with me. I have to find Mary. And Mary, who was committed to knowing the Lord in the place of suffering, was the very first person to witness Jesus in the power of his resurrection. She not only knew him in suffering, but she knew him in the power of his resurrection. And this is what I believe the Lord is saying to us, church. That suffering didn't deter her, it didn't intimidate her, but she made up her mind, I will know the Lord in suffering. And the Lord rewarded her with knowing him in the power of his resurrection. Come on, somebody. That's beautiful. I want to know the Lord in the power of his resurrection. See, suffering is not a hindrance to your purpose. It's a pathway to your purpose. It's a pathway to your purpose, which is him. He's your purpose. See, Mary knew in his sufferings, knew him in his sufferings and was was rewarded with being the first to know him in his resurrection. So here's what I want to do. I know we went a little bit long, but I want to close. I want to give you five quick things to help frame your perspective in suffering. So we're going to just go over these briefly. But if you want to write these down or just take a picture of the screen, we're going to talk about these things really briefly. But how to gain perspective in suffering. Here's what I want you to know. The first thing is this. Get close to him. How to gain perspective in suffering doesn't matter what type of suffering it is. If something happened to you that you had no, you, you, you know, wasn't your fault, something bad happened in your life, or maybe you're even struggling with laying that thing down in your life and you're suffering to forgive or you're suffering to overcome that sin, this is what you have to know. Get close to the Lord. Get close to the Lord. Don't allow your life to distance you from him. Don't allow, like, don't, don't say this, oh, man, I'm going through it right now. I'm not going to go to church because I'm having a bad week. Like, that's the one place you need to come to, guys. (laughs) If you're going to do anything when things are hard, be here. Be close to the Lord. Number two, find and ask for revelation where he went through what you are going through. Remember, Hebrews 4, we saw that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. In, In your suffering, ask God and say, God, show me. Show me, give me revelation on how you suffered the way I'm suffering, Jesus. Man, my family rejected me. My parents walked out on me. They turned their back on me. Jesus, show me how you dealt with rejection and suffering. I lost someone that I dearly loved. Jesus, show me how you handled it when you lost Lazarus, when you cried over over losing him. See, in every aspect of our life, he suffered as we have suffered. So find where Jesus has suffered where you're suffering. And number three, worship and thank him. That seems out of place. No, it's not. Worship and thank him. Here's why. Because he overcame, you will overcome too. Because he overcame in the place of suffering, because he rose victorious, you will too. 
You'll make it through it. This suffering is not your end. It's not your destiny. It's not the end of your story. There's hope for you. And when you find where Jesus has suffered, you know that he overcame the suffering. So you will overcome as well. So worship and thank him for it. Number four, don't only pray to get out, but ask him to get in it with you. Don't only ask the Lord to remove these things from our life, but ask him to join you in the suffering. Here's one of the things I love so much. In the book of Acts, when the disciples began to get persecuted, well, they weren't disciples anymore, they were apostles, they began to get persecuted and beaten for preaching the gospel. The Bible says that they rejoiced in that suffering because they had the honor and the privilege of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Dare we rejoice in suffering? (laughs) Dare we get happy when we say, oh man, I have an opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ. That's a different level, y'all. I don't know if we're ready for that. But man, there's a reality where we say, I'm not intimidated by this. I'm thankful for it, and I want to find Jesus in this place. And lastly, let the Holy Spirit teach you and build you up in the place of suffering. Just like I told you a moment ago with my basement being flooded, the Holy Spirit revealed to me how he was protecting me. Let me tell you something. My, I had one sump pump and not one other pump in my house, nothing to help with water, getting water out of that crock. Because my basement flooded a little bit, not only did I have a brand new sump pump, I had a secondary backup pump and a shop vac sitting in my house just in case something like that happened again. And guess what? Wednesday, it happened again. And like I said, I'm standing over this hole in my basement watching the water rise. So I grab my second pump and throw it in there. (laughs) Guess what? It was too much for two pumps. The water kept rising. I got my shop back and I'm sucking water, like 10 gallons of water out of time out of this hole in the ground. Had I not gone through what I went through two weeks ago, I would have been unprepared to deal with what I dealt with last week. This is how the Lord builds us. This is how he grows us. This is how he matures us. And the, and the mark of a mature Christian is to not lose their mind in the place of suffering, but to be teachable and to allow the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom and revelation as to what he is up to because there's a purpose. I think of Joseph, all of the suffering he went through in his life, being sold into slavery, being falsely accused, forgotten in prison, Man, if he would have been unable to see what the Lord was doing in his life, he never would have found what he was called to do. Can I tell you there's purpose in your pain? There's purpose in your pain. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Would you stand with me today, please, as we close? Holy Spirit, we just invite you. Maybe you're in this room and and you're currently going through a season of suffering. Maybe you're dealing with something in your life that has been painful, that has been hurtful to go through. If that's you, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to come right now. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you bring us wisdom and revelation in this moment? Let us be like Mary Magdalene who wasn't intimidated by the difficulties that Jesus went through but who stood by him before, during, and even after your most difficult moment, Jesus. 
We want to know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering, being conformed to your death. God, right now, we lay our will down. Come on, if you're in this room and you have something to lay down, maybe you're dealing and fighting with sin in your life, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in, whatever it is, I want you to echo the words of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but your will be done. We lay it down, even if that means we're unhappy for a season. Even if that means it's difficult, even if that means it's hard, God. We lay our will down and choose your will for our life. Would you lead us and guide us into all righteousness, Holy Spirit? We love you and we bless you today. In your name I pray. Come on, everybody said. Amen, amen. As we wrap up today, what I want to do is ask the altar ministers to just come forward if you could. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, you've never given your life to him, I want you to hear me when I say this. As Christians, we have hope in suffering. There's hope in pain. There's a purpose in the difficult things of this world. And it's not because of anything that we've done, but it's because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Now, this privilege is afforded to everyone, but just because you're a person, just because you're a human, doesn't mean you're a son and daughter of God. The book of Romans says that he has given us the right to be called sons and daughters of God. But in this moment, you can become a son and daughter of God. See, this message today, although it might be a little sad, it's not hopeless because we have hope in Christ. But suffering without Christ, that's hopeless. <laughs> suffering without Jesus, yeah, that's hopeless. There's no hope in that. So I'm telling you today, if you've gone through enough life by yourself and you say, you know what, I'm done suffering alone. I want to find this man of sorrows, this man who bore my sin, who took my iniquity on the cross, who died for me in my place so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. If that's you in this room, I don't want you to leave before you come and pray with one of these incredible men and women up here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to pray a prayer because I think that's a little too easy. I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come up here. And I want you to make a decision, a declaration to say this, I am choosing to stand with Christ. I'm choosing to accept him in my life. And if you're in this room, the beautiful thing about suffering, if you're going through difficulty in your life, the beautiful thing is that we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to go through it alone. When we suffer, our, our reaction is to isolate, but we shouldn't isolate. We should grab hands with our brothers and our sisters in Christ and gain strength with the relationships with those around us. So if you're in this room and you're going through difficulty, we have incredible men and women up here that want to pray with you, that want to stand in the gap with you, that want to declare the word of God over your life, that want to bring you strength, just like Aaron and Hur lifted up the hands of Moses as Joshua was fighting the battle in the, in, the, in the valley. We want to be that for you, to strengthen you in a time of weakness. I love how the Bible says, immediately after Jesus surrendered his will, to God's will, the Bible says angels came and ministered to him. There's people in this room that can minister to you, to strengthen you 
and to help you keep on fighting. So Jesus, we bless your holy name. We thank you for all that you've done here today. We give you glory, honor, and praise, and we ask Jesus that we might know you not just in the power of your resurrection, but in the fellowship of your sufferings, being conformed to your death, Jesus. We love you. We bless you. In your holy name I pray. Come on, everybody said, amen, amen. Remember to live right, love everyone, and pray hard. Remember to come this way before you go that way. We love you all very much. Have an incredible week.